So, if you don't know, I'm Pastor Dan, and welcome to Life Tree Community Church. Thank you for joining us for our service. Um, and I just want to prepare you. You guys ready? I may say some things tonight that offend you. <laughs> All right, how many got uncomfortable? All right, good. Um, if so, listen, if I offend you tonight, um, I'm just, just know that I'm clearly not talking about you. It's definitely somebody else that I'm talking about. All right, it's ne it's, there's no chance it could be you that I'm talking about. Um, and I will ask you just to listen to the whole message before you turn me off. Like, you came out anyway. Like, you might as well listen to what, you know, what I got to say. And if you don't like it, um, you don't have to, you know, ever come back. It's okay. Uh, it's going to be must-watch TV. How many of you are excited for this? You're like, oh, I already tell I'm going to forward this to somebody, like the recording. It's going to be great. Um, and I say all that because we're living in a hostile time. Yeah? Anybody think, you think so? You think we're living in a hostile time? I don't know if any of you are on social media. I don't know why. Um, but if you're on social media, uh, it's not a pleasant place to be. Uh, people are not kind. If you listen to the news, people aren't kind. If you go to work, people aren't kind. If you talk anywhere, people are just, it's a hostile world that we're in. Um, there's an old saying, some of you probably know this, that uh, you can't make everyone happy. You can't please everybody. Anybody, anybody heard that one? Okay. How about um, you can't please all the people all the time? Yes, you've heard that one. All right. Now, how about, how about this? Um, I think right now it's hard to make anybody happy. Yes, um, and I think it's hard to please anybody at any time. I think you could just, like, like, just forget about most people. It's hard to please anybody. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel like, you know, if you're trying to do anything good, um, good luck, because it's a rough uh, environment and atmosphere that we're living in. As soon as you make a statement of opinion about anything, like, I could go Yankees, and already half of you are like, Pfft. Right, yep, see, right there. I got this right off, right and they're terrible right now. I'm just so disappointed. What? They're just melting. It's awful. They, all right, turning into the Mets. See, I offended somebody. I offended somebody. There you go. See, I'm sorry, Nick. Yeah, I know. Um, it's my father in law, too. I apologize. I apologize. Um, but let's talk about politics, please. Yeah. <laughs> let's take something easier. Um, vaccines. Let's talk about your perspective on vaccines. There's no argument there. We're all in the same place, right? Um, protocols, let's talk about those. Let's talk about racial matters. Yeah, we're on the same page there. How about parenting, uh, faith, um, whatever. Buckle up, because people are going to come at you no matter what you say, and they're going to tell you in no uncertain terms why you're wrong. That's the environment we're in. You want to say something, people are going to come back at you. And it's, it's a little bit challenging. And the unavoidable consequences to living in an environment that's so tense, so hostile, so, I don't, just rough. The, uh, the unavoidable consequences of this. Some people are just so terrified to say anything at all. And so they just keep quiet. That's, that's their response. I'm just going to say nothing because it's easier. And then some people choose to only spend time talking to people who are like-minded. Right? I'm only, I'm going to completely avoid all the people that I know disagree with me because it's just easier to avoid them. I will only spend time or talk to people. I will really only be honest with people that actually agree with me. Hey, those are called echo chambers. Yeah, that's the, right? We, and we, we do those things, and some people do that. Some people don't care what anybody thinks. And you know some of these. Um, one of those may have been a president. And they just fire away. I don't care what anybody says. I'm just going to say whatever I want to say, and you deal with it. You know anybody like that? Anybody related to anybody like that? 
right? You're going to just, hey, you don't like it, you can deal with it, not my problem. I'm just going to put it out there. So you've got people that don't want to say anything, people that try to, you know, you've got all these different things. History, I don't think, is going to be kind to us for the way that we are treating each other right now. I think as a society, history is not going to look back with fondness on the way that we're behaving as people. And what's even more unfortunate is that hostility is keeping us from working together to fix it. That same fear, that tension, it actually divides us further and prevents us from coming together to actually make it better. Very few people are interested in considering somebody else's perspective. What we're having is conversations, and they're not about growing or learning or moving forward. Rather, what we do is we prepare ourselves for battle. Every time we have an opinion that we want to say something, we're pouring our energy into proving ourselves right. Am I, I know I'm not talking to anybody here, nobody listening. This isn't you, this isn't the world you live in, but it's just the world that I notice. It sounds dramatic, I know, but I really feel we're at war with each other. That's really what it feels like, that we're at war. Just cutting in and out, is that me? We're good. If you were to share your opinion with someone who disagrees, how do you expect it to go right now? I mean, how do you expect it to go? If you knew somebody disagreed with you on any one, any topic, like, do you expect them to go, oh, that's interesting, tell me more? Or, right, they'll send you, they'll start sending you emails with links to articles that you can read that prove their point. And let me talk to my friend who knows somebody who, who, who knows a guy who, whose, whose wife does this, and let me tell you, I know the truth. All right. Do you feel like people are curious about what you have to say and interested in understanding? Or can you see them developing their comebacks and responses as you're talking? You ever have a conversation like that, right? You're talking to somebody, and you can tell they are not listening. They're just thinking in the moment about how they're going to shoot back at you. We are reducing each other to where we land on a set of issues. You are either right, a, a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer. You are left or you are right. You are pro, you are anti, you are this or you are that. That's what we're reducing people to. And I have to tell you, I think we are losing the image of God in each other. We are turning each other into enemies. And it's tragic and it's deadly and it's wrong. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11. Says, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Those are some strong words. I mean, look at those. Those are some very strong words out of the mouth of Jesus. He says, that's the inevitable end for us as people if we continue to view each other as enemies. If you make someone an enemy, think about this. If you make someone an enemy, then their destruction, their demise, their death will be your victory. If someone is your enemy, their downfall is your success. Does that sound like Jesus to anybody? I'm convinced that this environment, the atmosphere that we are living in is the work of the enemy. And one enemy only. One enemy alone. The devil. The Apostle Paul had many people trying to attack him. If you know his story, 
He you know, came up from the, a Jew of the Jews, right? Trained under all these people and, and then had this conversion experience, came to believe in Jesus and it was radically changed and went about now telling the world about it and people didn't like it. People tried to attack him. They slandered him. They tried to kill him. They knew, he knew all about how terrible people could be. You, you read Paul's history. People were awful to him, constantly. And he said this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He said this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, he says this. He goes on. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of your neighbor, all the strategies of your coworker who disagrees with you, against your brother-in-law who makes you nuts. No, he says, all the strategies of the devil. He continues in verse, in verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Remember, people, people literally threw rocks at Paul. <laughs> they thought they had killed him. They literally stoned him, thought they had killed him, and somehow he survived. He had to crawl out of holes in walls to escape towns where mobs were waiting to finish the job. A group of more than 40 men took a vow that they were not going to eat or drink until Paul was dead. He knew all about people who wanted him to do him harm, wrongfully. And yet Paul says, people are not your enemy. The same guy who had so many people against him said, people are not the enemy. He wanted the church to know this, we're all brothers and sisters. Some are simply estranged family members, but we are not to fight against nor celebrate the demise of those we disagree with or who even intend us harm. It's not my victory. It says we all have a common enemy and his goal is to divide us. The mission of Christ, to unite us. The mission of the enemy to divide us. When you look around, let me ask you, what do you see? Can you see with spiritual eyes what is happening in our world right now? Is that the work of Christ or is that the work of an enemy? When you are in a war, it's critical that you accurately identify who your enemy is. If we get that wrong, if we as the church distance ourselves from others, if we view those who we disagree with, perhaps deeply disagree with, perhaps about things that we know that we're right about, if we view them as the enemy, guess what? We become complicit in the work of the enemy. We begin to now do the work of the enemy. Church, we are called to live different, to be in the world, not of it. And that means our mission, our responsibility, our charge from God is to find ways to live as brothers and sisters. We've been talking about joy. How many feel joyful right now? Isn't this great? You feel joy? You feeling it? You feeling joyful? Like, this is good, right? right? Come on, joy. God has said this is time for joy. We feel like God has said right now is the season where joy is needed. We need joy. And here's the reality. We're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to fight for it. Psalm 133.1 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, in harmony. How good and pleasant it is when we live together. It's, 
It's good to live together. It can be hard to find joy in the way that we are behaving as a society right now, which means, which means that it's the perfect time for joy. It's the perfect time and opportunity for unity. It's a golden opportunity because here's the reality, right? The light shines brightest in the dark. When all around of us, our world is hostile, this is our moment. It's our moment as the church to rise up and show a different side. It will be a testimony to the world when we experience unity because they're going to know it's only the work of God. Because as humans, we don't do that. We just mess it up. So if, if truly unity and harmony and joy is in our midst, that's got to be God. So how do we make that happen? How do we affect change, like real change, real change? How do we introduce joy into a hostile world? I'm just going to read a story from John. I think it kind of paints a good picture for us. John chapter 8, verse 1. And you may, you may know this story. You may be familiar with it, probably. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. And the crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them says this, as he was speaking, so he's teaching, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. You know the story, right? And they, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And you can see him being like, all right, here we go. Here we go. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. I love Jesus. I'm just telling you, Jesus is like, he's just a boss. I don't know. That's old school word. I don't know what the kids say now. But Jesus stooped down and just writes in the dust with his finger. They're like, what do you got to say about that? They're waiting, and he's just like, I, I so wish I knew what he was drawing in the dirt. I mean, I do. It says they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. They're like, tell us, tell us, tell us. He's just drawn in the sand. He goes, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Hmm. Next verse says, then he stooped down and he writes in the dust again when the accusers. Isn't that a great name for the crowd? <laughs> the accusers. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stands up again. He's done drawing in the dirt. And he says to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Man, that's a story. That's a story right there. Let me ask you, did the woman do something wrong? Yeah, yeah. Adultery violates the relational covenant between husband and wife. No argument. Was the crowd right that the law said to stone her? Mm -hmm. Yep. And Jesus didn't argue that. God revealed that sin demands atonement. All right, it separates us from God. It's got to be paid for. So, so what happened to make them all walk away? If she was wrong and they were right, why they walk away? One simple statement. Whoever's perfect gets to throw the first stone. 
Oof. See, the law reveals the holiness of God, but also the reality that our sinfulness disqualifies us from being executors of God's judgment. The law is holy, for sure. We are sinful, for sure. But we, we are disqualified from saying, I'm the one who's going to execute justice here. Only a perfect judge gets to hand out judgment. And you know what? Good news. He will. He's going to do it. God is competent, in case anybody's worried. In case you're worried, God is, he's got it under control. He's competent as a judge. Jesus doesn't excuse the woman's sin, doesn't contradict the law. He simply identified that God alone has the right to condemn, and he chooses not to. He extended forgiveness to the woman. She didn't deserve it, didn't deserve it at all. See, there's different types of gifts. We know this, right, different types of gifts. There's gifts you want and you hope for, like you think there's a chance. Like there's a chance, right? When I was a kid, my mom asked me what I wanted for my birthday every year. It was the same three things. Do you remember what they are? I wanted a diamond pinky ring, a Harley Davidson, and a Taylor guitar, right? Those were like shooting for the moon, shooting for the moon, right? There, but there are things you want and you hope for. Like, I would like a new couch, right? Maybe you're like, yeah, that's reasonable. Like, I could get a new couch. Or, you know, there's things that you want and you hope for. Then there are gifts that you want but you never expect, right? Like the Harley Davidson. Um, still waiting, Mom, still waiting. Um, uh, <laughs> um, Lamborghini, maybe, for you. Or an Oceanside Mansion in Greece. I don't know. Like, you're like, it would be awesome. I would want that, but I'm not expecting it. Like, you just... You'd want it, but you don't expect it. But then there are gifts that it's not just about want, it's about need. Gifts that you need and you hope for. Things like uh, a cousin of mine waiting on an organ transplant. Needs it and is hoping for it. Is hoping for it. Then there's gifts that we need, but we don't actually expect. You never expect it. The woman needed forgiveness. She didn't expect it. She didn't deserve it. But she got it anyway. And you know what we call that? We call those grace. We call those graces. Graces are the good gifts that you get that you didn't deserve and you didn't expect. There was no expectation it was ever going to happen, but you needed it. It wasn't just a want. You needed it. You needed that in your life. Jesus' display of grace was more than words. It was a sacrifice of loves. What she didn't know, but we know from history right, is that he didn't just say, you're forgiven. He didn't just say that to this woman, but he would eventually give his life so she could be. It was more than words, that grace. He backed it up with his actions. His death on the cross is the greatest act of grace in history. He laid down his life as a gift, undeserved, unexpected, but he gave it. If that happened today, if a woman from our community had been caught doing something wrong. How do you think that's going to go right now? 2021, here's how I think it might. What's most likely? She's going to be talked about on social media, ridiculed, labeled, might lose her job, humiliated, avoided, canceled. We can add all those things, right? You know how that's going to go. Everybody talks. I heard this. I heard this. People begin to postulate all the reasons why. You'd lose track of the number of people throwing stones at that woman. The scars of that experience would most likely remain with that woman for her entire life. 
Some of you listening to this still have wounds of an experience like that. You did something wrong. And you were essentially crucified for it. Strung up, publicly humiliated. But that's not the case for this woman. Because on that day, on that day, Jesus loved her and stood up for her and established grace as the new law. The grace Jesus gave changed her story. Can you put yourself in her shoes just for a minute? Imagine the shame of being publicly humiliated, brought out in front of a crowd, your worst sin exposed, whole town. Imagine the fear of impending punishment. You know the law, that the threat of being stoned is very real. Imagine feeling that, oh no, I'm going to die today. Today I'm going to die in shame. Then imagine Jesus, waiting on Jesus to powerlessly fold to the crowd because the law says she deserves death. So she's looking at Jesus, not holding out any hope because she knows he knows the law. And then she watches him just right in the sand and she may be thinking he's just delaying. And then hearing him go, all right, whoever's without sin gets to throw the first stone. And in that second, she goes, wait, what? Sorry, what? And then she begins to see one by one, people just walk away. So there's nobody left. And imagine her, like, state of being. What is she thinking? Is this actually happening? What is going on? What's he going to do to me? What's, what's going to happen? And then Jesus, walking over to her and says to her, I don't condemn you. Now go do what you know is right. Grace. Forgiveness.